And the most rewarding is not the degree itself, is that when you practice and you apply what I clinically learned and to see patients get better. And these are patients that everybody runs away from. I'm the opposite. I want, I don't give me the patient that is simple. Give me the one that has been through several physical therapists already and has not gotten better. And I think that's where my private practice is now is the patients that I'm getting are by word of mouth. And these are patients who've already been, oh, you're my fourth physical therapist. So you can imagine the frustration, the bias, physical therapy doesn't work. And to see them finally get better. This is PT Meal Podcast, where we ingest and digest physical therapy information from physical therapists around the world with a Filipino twist. With your host, Johan De La Paz, a Filipino physical therapist who has worked in different practice settings from the Philippines and here in the U.S. Let's indulge and satisfy our cravings to learn and be inspired. Hi, welcome back to PT Meal Podcast, a buffet of play, therapies, movement, exercises, activities, and leisure, all packed in a hearty conversation of physical therapy profession and practice with a Filipino flavor. I am Johan De La Paz, your host. Uh, welcome back to The Banquet. Again, for the first, for those who are uh, listening to the podcast for the first time, this podcast is available in your favorite podcast apps in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many, many more. <laughs> you can also watch us, uh, the full episodes of most of the uh, podcasts in YouTube. And if you want to stay updated on fresh episodes, interview snippets, uh, research abstracts, or infographics, follow the social media Counts of the podcast in Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. You can also check out some merch on, uh, on Etsy.com. Just search for PT Meal Shop, one word. And all the links and content are all available in the website, ptmealpodcast.com. All right. So let's go on with the show. So um, my guest for today, uh, we are going to talk about another um, academic option for uh, us physical therapists, aside from PhDs. Um, so my guest uh, is uh, Janice Alcantara. She is a private practice owner, movement medicine uh, physical therapy in Culver City. Uh, she finished uh, her uh, bachelor's of physical therapy in Cebu Doctors College, now university, and finished with a magna cum laude, right? <laughs> Amazing. And uh, she is... Uh, a fellow in training with uh, the North American Institute of Orthopedic Manual Therapy. She is a clinical instructor with the uh, physical therapy advancement seminars, comprehensively trained in Pilates, trained in Red Cord, uh, NURAC, and uh, also a certified kinesiotaping practitioner. She is also a certified clinical instructor from uh, with the APTA and a member of the American Association and Philippine Association of orthopedic manual physical therapy, physical therapist. So her previous work includes being a director of uh, rehab in a skilled nursing facility. She worked in home health, acute care, subacute care, wound care, um, early intervention, pediatric physical therapy, outpatient mobile therapy. So there's a lot. <laughs> and she is now finishing up her doctor of science in physical therapy at St. Andrews University with a concentration in orthopedic manual therapy. So let me welcome to the podcast, Janice Alcantara. Janice, glad to have you here. Thank you, Johan. Thank you for inviting me. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So thank you for um, sharing your time uh, after work. So I know you're tired, <laughs> but at least uh, we're going to hear about your um, experience, uh, as I've mentioned, with another uh, academic option, a terminal degree, aside from PhD. When I was starting um, here in the U.S., I was like, if someone wants to continue their studies, sometimes they, they look at like masters or, you know, um, terminal degrees like PhDs, right? But there's another option, DSC, which I just found out here. So uh, hopefully uh, other physical therapists would learn more about that and probably that can be an option for them. But before we dive into that, um, could you give us uh, a short introduction, you know, how did you become a physical therapist? Why did you become a physical therapist? And now what are you doing right now? So how I became a physical therapist, it's uh, 
I've been a PT now for over 20 plus years. And how I got into the field, I only had, I think, one criteria when I finished uh, high school is that I didn't want a job that was sitting at a desk. You know, nursing, everybody was taking nursing, so I wanted something different. And that's how I ended up in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it had its struggles coming, you know, as I think as most foreign trained physical therapists, we all had the struggles and how we got here to the U.S., going through the visa and stuff like that. But I got my, when I came here in the U.S., my first job was, I work in early intervention in um, pediatrics. It was in the state of Arkansas. I think I lasted about six months in that job. (laughs) And then I realized it really wasn't for me. Pediatrics just was very difficult. So (laughs) I decided to move to California and then did my um, period of clinical service in California, which was uh, lucky enough, I was able to do it in an acute hospital in downtown Los Angeles. And then from there went to um, sniff work. And then just because my company has contracts with several, so it was mostly a lot of sniffs, of acute, and then um, a little bit of they made me work in a patient. So it was a lot of different um, settings that I got exposed to. And then I decided to move into outpatient in 2018 after, you know, I think it was just PDPM that drove me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I think it's time to make a change. So Finally, now I opened my own practice last year. I'm now in private practice. It's just me and my husband. Um, We do, uh, you know, one-on-one, not a very big clinic, but right here in West Los Angeles. So, you know, it's, uh, we're just starting, but it's gaining a lot of ground and, you know, starting to get busy. But yeah, I, um, it went from working for a company to now being a private practice owner. It has its challenges, but I still, you know, I think people find that I really still like my work a lot. And I really find I am still very passionate about the field. And I mm-hmm. do love, finally, I have a say on what I can do. Uh-huh. So it's, it's more of being your own boss and being in more of control yeah. Then other, you know, I think it, it was time. Um, uh-huh. It's not really that I hated working for somebody. It was very convenient at the time, you know, raising a family, being, um, having the nine to five. And, you know, once you clock out, you're done. You don't have to think about it. When you're a private practice owner, you still have, there are things that you still bring home with you. So you never really turn that off in your head. Mm-hmm. So it does have its positive, it, you know, its pros when you are an employee and you work for a company. And then also the flexibility of work mm-hmm. when you have kids, you know, you have no nannies and you're raising a family. So the flexibility in the schedule really helps a lot. So, you know, it was very useful at the time. You know, a lot of people have asked, you should, do you think you should have opened a long time ago? And I said, no, there's no way I would be able to do what I'm doing right now, mm-hmm. even 15 years ago, because you know, I still had the babies and then, you know, you, there's, it was just a much different time. I'm glad I like, I started it here after I've, I've finished my, um, after I passed my exams for the SEMPT exam with NIOMP and my spinal manipulative um, SMT exam with um, a spiral MT. And then, you know, now I, I'm finally done with most of my credits with the DSC. Like, I feel like that is much, I can apply finally everything that I have learned and everything comes together. So it is the right time. I don't think it was ever like, should I have started sooner? No, no regrets. Mm -hmm. Proper timing, proper timing, really. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's dive into the topic. So doctor of science in physical theory, could you tell us more about it and how is it different from uh, the, you know, traditional PhDs. Yeah. Yes. So PhDs, I think it's much more research. I mean, there's a heavy research focus, but there's not a lot of, uh, clinical application because it's really more academe and, um, more geared towards that. Right. Mm -hmm. But, the I think people find what people find confusing is that okay what's the difference between a DPT and a DSC mm-hmm. right so the DPT is an entry level doctorate physical therapy so it allows you to become an entry level doctorate of physical therapy with entry level clinical skills now if you're talking about DSC I think to keep it to make it in layman's terms it's more of a combination of your DPT, but also 
your PhD, but then at the same time, you add a clinical application component to it. Mm -hmm. So it's a combination of both. And I think the beauty of that is because if you are a physical therapist um, who aspires to be in the academe, this is a terminal academic degree. So it does allow you more opportunities in academia later on in your later years, but it's just a heavier I would say a heavier caseload because there are more units. Um, there's also a research focus as well. But then what I chose was I chose one that have a clinical focus in orthopedic manual therapy. I just thought that it was, to me, it serves what I really wanted to learn that would help me become a better and a master clinician should I open my own practice. Mm-hmm. So is that the, the main reason? why you chose uh, DSE is so that you can apply that in your own practice? I could apply it in my own practice. And at the same time, I think initially, because I think it just happened to meet my needs as to where I am in my career right now. Mm-hmm. I have been a PT now for 20 plus years. And then, you know, going to, of course, we're all encouraged to get the transitional DPT. Mm-hmm. But when I look at the curriculum, I didn't see anything that was, more clinical um, applications for me. I mean, there is clinical applications, but I didn't think I could learn any new clinical skills because I have been practicing for so long in so many different settings. I wanted something that would really challenge me, get me out of my comfort zone. And it really did. I'm talking about like really crying. (laughs) And then, um, and at the same time, I needed something that was, if I was going to spend this much effort, which I know what people are going through when they go through the the transitional DPT, like, aren't you glad you're done? (laughs) Right? (laughs) So I needed something like, okay, if I was going to do, it has to be something that would, maybe in my later years, if I decide I wanted to be changed to academia and my body, my physical body is no longer able to treat, Mm -hmm. I would have that option of teaching just Mm -hmm. online. So it was sort of like, it just hit all my needs right at this point of my, mm-hmm. you know, at my stage in life. Yes. Right. So it challenged you. It gave yes. you an opportunity to apply that on your um, yeah. practice and also served you a purpose of in the future, in case, you know, you don't want to have yes. patients anymore. Yes. You're able to transition to academia. Yes. And I think to answer that question also is that, you know, you hear this from Filipino physical therapists. There's always this question. Should I spend my money on a DPT or I really want to learn more clinical skills? Mm-hmm. Would I rather spend my money in continuing education and gain more clinical so I become a better clinician? Mm-hmm. But do I really need a doctorate, you know, will it to upgrade my profession, my credentials? Mm-hmm. Think about combining both. Mm-hmm. That's what I think just that to explain it in a much simpler term. So mm-hmm. you're combining that that dilemma that they always have. Oh, should I go the DPT way or why don't I just go for a fellowship in orthopedics? So this one, the program that I'm in, I went through orthopedic manual therapy training and all the training gives me academic credits towards Mm -hmm. my doctorate of science degree. Oh, yes. So I did it. It's like hitting two birds in one stone. Mm So I was how I found out about the degree was I think I took a class with um, IPA, the Institute of Physical Art, right? And if they have a very good program about CFMT. Mm-hmm. But while I was taking the classes, a lot of really good manual techniques, a lot of PNF, everything, you know, it was very, it was very, very um, eye-opening. I learned a lot. But that's how I found out, like, okay, my question was, if I do this intervention, what is my clinical reasoning? Why would I do choose this versus this and this? How do I learn that? Mm-hmm. of clinical reasoning right um to discern that this intervention is better no this movement is better no you're going to do better with just this and this and that right mm-hmm. and that was i think and the missing aspect and that led me to the NIAM website and i look at the NIAM website oh if i do their program i actually can get academic credits towards a doctorate of science mm-hmm. so and that led me to andrews university so i just randomly did an application and for some reason, Val, Dr. Kuman said, okay, you need to start this year. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't know, like, okay, what is this academic plan? And then I didn't even think about it. Oh, this is your academic plan. Oh, okay. And then I look at the academic plan. It's three years and it's 65 units. 
that's a lot. Uh-huh. <laughs> I didn't. I've never been. I've never gone to an American university, so I don't really understand what sixty-five units would mean for my time. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't really budget until I was in school, and I realized, okay, twelve units working full time and two kids and doing the OMPT classes, and I have an exam. This is a lot. So, <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like learn as you go. But if you're once you're in there, sige, bahala na. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so, was your program? Only three years, or does it? No, that's my academic plan. Okay. Um, but I decided to because I was working full time to just do it like six or seven units per semester. There's mm-hmm. no way I think my time would have allowed me to do 12, 15 mm-hmm. minutes at a time. Not to mention the classes and the testing. So that mm-hmm. I think was the biggest. And I, you know, it's a lot of reading. It's to do both a research focused program at the same time learning new clinical skills it's right. like and then working full-time it's so it can be very demanding but at the same uh-huh. time very rewarding so it can th- that program can be done full-time and also part-time if you're yes working. yeah okay. they give you um it really is it's a program that was made for working clinicians already so mm-hmm. i think a lot of people i've met in the program are sort of are either in the later parts of their career already mm-hmm. and they're doing it because they want and they want to now transition to academia or research because mm-hmm. they've already been more established clinical wise in their career mm-hmm. or they're more of um they're just starting and they want to gain more out of it as well mm-hmm. so built into the program is actually what the one for Anderson university is you can actually do both built into the program is a dpt program transitional dpt oh it's just more uh-huh yeah, so you can actually get a DPT and a DSC from the program, but I you know how many Ds can you get? <laughs> <laughs> so you're gonna end uh, with no, a program I didn't do DPT, I didn't apply DSC? for DPT. Okay. No. Yeah, it was just no. Oh, you but just, there's a program that you can do DPT and no, the the DPT academic plan is if you look at their academic plan for a transitional DPT. It's already part of the DSP. Oh, gotcha. So if you just choose to be in both, you actually could graduate with both. Uh-huh. Yeah, but you know what is the what is really the clinical utility of having? Mm-hmm. Gotcha, so, gotcha. Yeah, but I did have a classmate who won. He did both. So. Oh really? Yeah, she said <laughs> just yeah, to get you know, the D's. You can do both, and I said, how many D's do you need? <laughs> All right. So we uh, touch uh, you, you touch on 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 uh, the. <laughs> orthopedic part uh, of the curriculum. Uh, Mm -hmm. Can you describe more, uh, elaborate on what the program is like? So um, Andrews University right now, if you, I mean, if you look at APTA, there's a lot of DSC programs, right? Mm -hmm. They have a list of schools that offers this higher academic terminal academic degrees with different Mm -hmm. focuses. Um, I think the beauty about with Andrews is now they have different focuses. You can choose to have a women's health now. I think they just oh. opened that wow. um, a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. And now they opened one for OTs, a DSC mm-hmm. for OTs. And then there's one, of course, the initial opening was for orthopedic manual therapy. So now they have different focuses and they I think they even have one now for education. Mm-hmm. So if you know Mark, he's on the education track as well. Oh, yeah. Okay. So yeah, so you can choose that depends mm-hmm. on what it is, what field. So you know the beauty is that your DSC is academic, like it still gives you that terminal academic degree. Mm-hmm. So um, the orthopedic manual therapy is all the training I took was under NIAM, the North American Institute of Orthopedic Manual Therapy. So I did all their classes. So it's the same as taking a continuing education mm-hmm. um, class. So you have that lab intensive on-site classes, you have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, OMPT instructor. And then from that, that on-site class though, but because it's part of your academic degree, you don't just do the class and you're done. There's still discussion case discussions that you have to finish and there's mm. still exams that you have to take because it has an academic uh, credit so mm-hmm. now there's just more work to be done after the class uh-huh. so you have two options you can choose to either take that class as just as a continuing education mm-hmm. or take that class as then part of your dsc program mm-hmm. so i think with my orthopedic manual therapy is 
that, um, you know, you, you know, they have this, when I started with them, with Nayam, they had this level one, two, three classes. So in level one, you understand the basics of clinical reasoning. Mm -hmm. Then in level two, you learn more interventions. And then in level three, they even, you know, now you're addressing the whole body and stuff like that. So, but since Nayam separated from Andrews, now I'm kind of stuck. Like I'm now part of Nayam with my fellowship in training, but you know, something to do with how Earl Petman separated and formed his own um, Aspire OMT. So some of my exams is with Andrew, some is with Nayam. Let's just say I'm just all over the place. So, uh-huh. <laughs> but, you know, the mentors, I think just the, I think the the strength of that program is the mentorship, really. Mm-hmm. Um, you met so many great instructors, very, very good instructors and learned so much. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And does the DSC, does your program also include um, like teaching, teaching courses. Yes, um, oh. I took. Um, they taught leadership courses. Mm-hmm. They taught how education courses in healthcare, mm-hmm. learning how to um, leverage current technologies in teaching, mm-hmm. teaching methodologies, concepts. So very, very great. It's not just all clinical. So aside right. from the research, there was a lot of leadership and teaching courses. Really, I think this was the most I have ever learned when it comes to teaching, because I mean, the last time I taught was 20 years ago, right Uh after college. So yeah, (laughs) very different. Now, you know, we have so many technologies. So yeah, they, yeah, that's part of that. Yeah. I remember um, when um, the the DSC program was, uh, was introduced to me by, by Mark before, I was looking at the curriculum and I remember a, a practicum part it, that you're going to teach students within the, that program. Is that? Um, so no, the practicum wasn't, depends on your focus. Okay. I think maybe because I'm not on the education track, so yeah. it might be a different the practicum that he's, he's, he's going to be doing. Mm-hmm. Since I am on the orthopedic manual therapy track, mm-hmm. The practicum hours is the clinical supervision hours that I'm doing under my fellowship instructor. So my fellowship, actually, all the hours I'm doing under my fellowship is also under my DSC. So Mm -hmm. you see why I'm in the fellowship, why I'm doing the OMPT exam in the DSC. So I just Uh put them all together. I thought one big effort, get it done. Uh (laughs) And, And as a last requirement, does the DSC have like a thesis as a yeah you, you do have to have a dissertation mm-hmm. and of course you go through the all the process of you know your research Defense proposal yes which is where I'm right now so <laughs> there is a little bit <laughs> but yeah you're almost there you're almost there <laughs> um so what's the most challenging aspect of um, of getting into a, a DSC DSC program doing during the program I think it's the challenge a lot of challenges, but I think it's what stage in your life are you on when you choose to do this? Mm-hmm. Okay. You have to understand the demands. And I think my family can say for itself how hard it was. Mm-hmm. Um, it did it did put a lot of stress and toll into your family dynamics. Um, then, you know, um, there's a lot of sacrifices as far as your weekends, mm-hmm. um, my early mornings. It was just all PT, 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 six or seven days a week. Mm-hmm. So it was really a lot of um, like just trying to balance because there really mm-hmm. isn't a balance. I think I mm-hmm. just chose to say if this is what I chose to work and study at the same time. So this is what's going to be the bulk of my that time. There's really mm-hmm. there's a lot of things you have to give up going out, saying no to a lot of invitations. I could not. My weekends are no longer that free. <laughs> Even mm-hmm. watching Netflix is already a luxury <laughs> for me. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, the, yes, it's actually the toll, the demand that it takes in you. So when you have a family and you have younger kids or if you have a newborn, I think it's very demanding and you have to be able to comprehend and understand that it will take a lot of those time hours. So, you know, choosing to do that at what stage in your life, make sure that at least you have that, uh, you have to have that support. There's no way it can be done without the actual support of your colleagues and your friends and especially your family. 
Mm-hmm. And your spouse. I have to give credit to my spouse because I think it's <laughs> a lot of sacrifice. I did so much travel. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Also, aside from um, uh, spousal, family, um, and and your support from friends and colleagues, how how else were you able to cope with uh, the stress of being in a DSC program? It is actually have, I think a lot of that support too is coming from the classmates and friends and your professors. Mm-hmm. They gave me so much guidance and, you know, assistance as well. Okay, you need this, you know, resources, assessment. you need this, I'll get that for you. Oh, this is what you did. So the, you meet a lot of, you know, professional colleagues and mm-hmm. the assistance they give you as well, the support they give you. And, you know, you travel three times a year. Um, three times a year, I would be flying to Chicago and then drive two hours to um, overnight to Michigan. So it was literally like um, I would fly. It's a four hour flight to Michigan, uh, to Chicago. Then from Chicago, I would drive to Michigan, which is another two hours. And then you have a time difference of three hours. So basically, I would arrive at two o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. wake up at six, which is only like three o'clock here you know, in California. And then so that I can be in class in a classroom at eight o'clock in the morning, fresh eyed. So that was really the and then be there for six days straight and then mm-hmm. back. So, yeah. And then but oh, because of that traveling over there I've made some really good friends as well and Mm -hmm. then they provided so much support and guidance and like I said the the professors the amount of support guidance and mentorship I think those were one what was that was the best thing I think a part of the program Mm -hmm. all right so um next is we we talked about the challenges of the uh, being in the DSC pro what what now are the most rewarding or enjoyable part of it? I consider that program, it really reignited my passion for physical therapy. Mm-hmm. You've been in practice for 20 years and you've seen done the same thing over and over again. You kind of get that. Ah, that's it, right? right? Like, that's I want to retire. I want to yeah. take a vacation, you know, all that. But when I did that program and, you know, especially when Earl is, or Patman is the one teaching, it really reignited that passion that you have for physical therapy. And the most rewarding is not the degree itself, is that when you practice and you apply what I clinically learned and to see patients get better. Mm-hmm. And these are patients that everybody runs away from. Oh. I'm the opposite. I want, I don't give me the patient that is simple. Give me the one that has been through several physical therapists already mm-hmm. and has not gotten better. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where my private practice is now is the patients that I'm getting are by word of mouth. Mm-hmm. And these are patients who've already been, oh, you're my fourth physical therapist. So you can imagine the frustration, right. the bias, physical therapy doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And to see them finally get better Mm-hmm. And, you know, that has been the most rewarding instead, instead of running away, you know, I mean, you've been in practice, there's this patient like, oh, my God, that's so many problems. It never ends. Give, you know, right. Give right. Him somebody. I'm the one. No, give him give him to me. I want mm-hmm. the patient. Yes. Mm-hmm. I want the complex one because that's what I want the tough to treat patients. Basically, that's mm-hmm. um, that is to me has been the most. Risk. I'm no longer that scared. Instead, it gives me, okay, I have to figure out a way, how do I make this patient better? And mm-hmm. that's what my OMPT training did for Andrews and what Aspire and I have taught me is that you have your clinical reasoning skills and your ability to like just research and mm-hmm. figure out a way how to make this patient better. Mm-hmm. That's so amazing. That's so relatable because we, everyone, every PT would have that type of patient that they would run away from that you, you take that patient you take that patient. yeah you take that patient the patient came today with a back pain and then uh-huh. yeah. the next session you know my knee hurts now oh mm-hmm. you know my ankle hurts now my neck hurts i have a mm-hmm. headache you know and you just yeah. like oh your authorization only says it's your knee right, right. yeah right, right so how do you handle that how do mm-hmm. you handle that with the insurance so you know those are the nuances i think that i think were like one of the positive um, things that I have gained really from this program. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. That's so inspiring. You don't run away from uh, challenges anymore. <laughs> yes. Don't run away. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, 
can you share to us what's the what one lesson uh what's the one lesson that you you remember that you learn from uh DSC program that you apply in uh, your practice I think it's Earl um well, of course no I'm, it's not just like when Earl was talking about how um you know the stages of learning I forgot whose concept it was um where you go through this stage of we call it uh, unconsciously incompetent where you mm-hmm. go through a stage what is that I forgot like you the first it sounds stage, familiar right the first stage it's like it's almost related to the Danny girl like the first stage is you're unconsciously incompetent mm-hmm. and then you go through a stage where you're consciously incompetent mm-hmm. and then you become consciously competent mm-hmm. and then you become an expert right so I think I was stuck in that unconsciously incompetent for so long. Mm-hmm. And then when I got to the program, got worse because now you are consciously incompetent. <laughs> and so you're trying to get out of that. I uh-huh. mean, will I ever be getting to that, what do you call it, consciously competent stage? Mm-hmm. I hope so. But I hope before I die, I get to that stage. <laughs> but it's that transition from that stage to being aware of your limitations. And then mm-hmm. now you are aware that there really is so much to learn and that it will never end, but right. you will constantly chip away at it until yeah. who knows where it will take you. And I think that was the biggest lesson I've learned as to how much I really didn't know. Mm-hmm. I could say I've been in 20 plus years in business and I've learned everything about insurance, how to build smartly, how to meet every insurance so that you will get paid. But nothing really in there is is as satisfying as how to treat that patient that's really tough and the most challenging oh wow that's nice that's amazing um i i just looked that up uh the four stages of competency yeah something like that yeah unconscious incompetence which is ignorance conscious incompetence which is awareness yes competence is learning and unconscious competence mastery yeah, so that's like where you have an expert. Yes, uh-huh. I don't know who is the original. We got to give credit to whoever. Yeah, credit to Gordon Training International by Noel Birch, 1970s. Okay, yes. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I, only, I think I only saw this once, but since you mentioned that, it's, it's quite interesting. Yeah, so, and, you know, I think, and it dawned on me because... When Earl teaches a class, you know, mm-hmm. he always starts with that concept. And I was like, you know, it's true. And he said, the fact that you're here in this class, you know, is already that you're making an effort to get out of that stage, mm-hmm. the ignorance right. stage to the mm-hmm. awareness stage, right? So, right. and it was like, okay, I'm really going to listen. <laughs> <laughs> and being aware is really the first yes, step yes, to it. Yeah. Yes. All right. So um, if... Uh, a colleague of ours listened to this uh, episode and wonder if, you know, if this might be something for me, what advice can you give to those physical therapists or of thinking about um, if they're thinking about enrolling in a, in a DSC program? If I think um, first is they have to really decide first where they want to be further down the line, like what do they envision their physical therapy career? Mm-hmm. Do they want to be on the administrative side more and mm-hmm. be in the business, you know, or do you want to be a clinician and be a better clinician in academia? So that path alone will tell you where, what higher academic degree. Mm-hmm. And because if you are more into the business, private practice ownership, do you really need a DSC? No, you can mm-hmm. be a successful private owner and be a successful businessman without that degree. Mm-hmm. But if you want to be in, a, in the academia and you want to have your, you want to have higher clinical skills and you want, you have to have a conscious decision that you are going to have the terminal academic degree. And there are so many DSC programs out there. Um, there's PhD, DD. So there's a lot of different terminal academic degrees. You go through the APTA website, it will mm-hmm. have a list. Mm-hmm. Take a look at the curriculum. Is this going to meet your what you envision your career would be in mm-hmm. the next 20 years? You know, whatever mm-hmm. is left of your remaining practicing years. So where do you envision yourself to be? Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and will this program. So, and then of course you take a review of the curriculum because there are so many focuses on this DSC program, mm-hmm. right? So right. it will, I think for some, it might not be appropriate for some, it will be, but it really all depends on what you aim for, right? Mm-hmm. And what right. is your, what's your goal for the next 20, 30, 40 years? Mm-hmm. And and just like you, they, I think another thing to um, uh, take into consideration is their current situation, because you uh, just like what you said earlier, it's the proper timing. If you said that you you know have yeah. done it before, probably it's not the right time. But you're yeah. at the time of your you know career that you want to be challenged. You want to apply this in your you know. And there, yes. And there mm-hmm. are other ways to do it. You mm-hmm. don't have to do it like I did where I went all gung-ho and say, okay, enroll in the program and do <laughs> yeah. everything else, right? right. Um, if you have limited time, mm-hmm. do the transitional DPT, right? Because it's the workload is easier. Mm-hmm. And then when you do the DSC, your DPT, will they will give you academic credits for that. Mm-hmm. So then your DSC program will only be half, not like me where I had 65 units, that's a lot. Or if you do not want the demand of having being in an academic class, do the continuing education. If you want for the OMPT, take the on-site classes, prepare for the exam, which is at your own pace. And then when you're done with the CMPT, COMT, and the spinal manager therapy class, whether it's Westparanium, they will give you academic credit for that when you're done. And then you enter the DSC program. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So you don't have to do what I did where you did everything all at once. You can do them bits. You can do the clinical training, the OMPT, do the fellowship. Mm-hmm. When you done the fellowship, you can still do the DSC, but it will be at half of the academic credit. So it will actually be lesser work and actually finish it in three years. Not like mm-hmm. me, that's going to take money. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So, so that's can... another, yeah. So that my advice would be, would always be to like, if you don't have the time, don't do what I did. Do <laughs> like the other way. Like I just told you, do it bits and pieces and uh-huh. then just apply it. So in the mm-hmm. end, you will still have the degree. Yeah. Right. Good, good. You t- you dip your toes in in in, in yeah. first and, and yeah. see if you wanna yeah. <laughs> because there's no pressure if you're not in academic class. You can take the exam when you need to, when you want to, and you can just study when you have the free time and not where if you are in academic class, you have to take that exam within the three months or four months of that academic class. So you really have to study, yeah. Right. All right, great, great advice. So um Janice, thank you. F- very much for coming uh, to the podcast and sharing with us uh, your insights and your experience uh, in in being in a DSC program and getting that doctor of science and physical therapy degree. Uh, before I let you go, uh, I I have my last three bites, my last three questions for you. Uh, it's not related to our topic anymore, but uh, something about you. We want to know, uh, you know, some questions about you as well. Um, my first last bite is. Um, what is your recipe for success? I think, of course, number one is your faith. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about religion. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's more of your faith in something higher. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter what, who you believe into. Um, second is humility mm-hmm. or, you know, that. Uh, and third is resilience, no matter what. I mean, life is never going to be a straight upward path, but keep on, right? Mm -hmm. Then I consider, I think also health, Mm -hmm. um, whether it be physical or mental, is one of the biggest um, factors as well. So you cannot serve other people and practice if you don't have your health, Mm -hmm. even your own family. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, having all of that, I think it's what makes for a much more rewarding. Right. So faith, humility, resilience, and health are the uh, stuff that pushes you to to succeed. succeed. All right. Uh, My second um, last bite is, aside from the DSE program, how do you continue to sharpen your knives? How do you continue to develop uh, yourself? Oh, 
a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always, I think it's that drive. I'm always really interested. People call me a geek or such a nerd. You know, even mm. my husband says, when do you turn off being a PT? <laughs> Doesn't everything is really, um, to me, like that interest to always constantly be learning. I think mm-hmm. that's what drives me. Mm-hmm. And I, it's how, I think it's more like, how do you keep that fire going? Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. So it is really much more intrinsic, more internal mm-hmm. in a sense. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. So what is one way for you to keep that fire burning because a lot of um our colleagues now are, are getting into that sense of slump or, or burnout even mm-hmm. even young colleagues I, I hear that they're already burned out so for you how do you keep that uh flame burning oh that's a tough one I've been there <laughs> um you know how do you keep the flame It's a conscious decision, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, uh, you know, I've been there. You're sitting in a meeting, right? Mm -hmm. All those interdisciplinary meetings. And you're like, my God, I've sat in these meetings for forever. And it's still the same results, Mm -hmm. right? So um, it's a conscious decision, I think. Um, It is not, I never really look at, oh, it's this person's fault. It's my company's fault. It's this. If I, it's always been, if you want to make a change, if you're burned out, I don't blame anyone except I am myself. I consider myself, I am responsible for everything. If mm-hmm. I'm burned out, it is not my external. I'm burned out because I allowed myself to be burned out, right? Mm-hmm. So it is a conscious, I think it's more of a conscious decision that it's you are ultimately responsible for everything. It cannot be your family, it cannot be spouse, it cannot be your coworker, it cannot be a tough patient, or it cannot be your boss, that stuff, or the company you work for, or you could say, And, you know, a lot of foreign trained physical therapists as well are, especially the younger ones when they come in and they say, oh, I'm stuck in this because I'm under petition, right? I'm on an H1B or I need to get this. I cannot really transfer jobs in the contract. What do you make of that situation? If you're going to be stuck in a job that you're not 100% happy with, then learn as much as you can from that, right? Mm. And so... Do not just think that, oh, just because you work in a skilled nursing facility, I'm not going to learn anything. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot in a skilled nursing facility. Mm-hmm. It's where I got my primary care skills. Mm. And I think that helped me with the OMPT because when OMPT was training me mm-hmm. to look for red flags, it's easy to read that in a book. But mm-hmm. when you actually have the red flag in front of you, do you recognize it? Mm-hmm. That is what I learned from when working in SNFs and long-term care is I can, you know, I can already pretty much assess and much more confident, okay, this is not something that, I'm, you know, this is something I need to farm out. This is a 911 call, right? Mm-hmm. Or this is something you need to go like today, go to your mm-hmm. primary care physician or go to urgent care or, you know, to be able to direct that. So, yeah, it's. Just because you're stuck in a situation doesn't mean it's, you know, a lot of people, right, look down on sniffs. Right. And it's surprising because you wouldn't think that you can apply primary care physical therapy skills in sniff because there's a lot of like uh, uh, nurses there. Oh. You would think that no. okay, they would they would know that. <laughs> I don't no. have to. You know. <laughs> I think it's one. I And I'm going to really encourage and because... I read social media groups, right? And, mm-hmm. and, you know, there's a lot of disparaging comments when it comes, don't work for long-term care because of productivity guidelines. Don't work for long-term care because you're not going to get, you know, it's all that. Do you know how much you can learn from these patients? Mm-hmm. Massive, massively. Mm-hmm. How are you ever going to have the chance? When are you ever really going to have the chance to work with a patient with multiple medical conditions, interacting with each other, how this affects, have a chance to look at their current medications, how they're interact, have access to their labs, be able to work with a ventilator dependent patients, look at their, you know, all that. Mm-hmm. Oh, this patient is stage for what can you do as if, you know, it's not just pressure relief when you come to wound care. There's a lot of things that you can do. Mm-hmm. So all of those things I learned are really valuable today, like mm-hmm. as a prime, as a private 
practice physician, because like mm. I said, I have the tough to treat kind of patients, right? Mm. So yeah, it's really, it's your outlook. That basically what I'm saying right. is that if you think you are stuck in that situation, then you are going to be stuck. Mm-hmm. But if you feel like if you take a look at your situation, I'm in this situation, but I am, it may look like to others, like I'm stuck, then I'm going to learn everything I can out of this situation. So mm-hmm. that when finally, when that door opens, ready, you're ready to you're fly ready. Uh, with as much knowledge as you can carry from whatever situation you're on. I love that. Taking responsibility and making the best of yes. your current situation. I like that. Um, my last bite is what are the three ingredients that you always carry with you each and every day of your life that you think are essential? Uh, in short, what are the three ingredients that make up Janice? Oh, God, that stuff. <laughs> it can be uh, it can be a, a, a motto, a, a statement, a verse. Uh, um, My God, a I don't even know Characteristic. <laughs> um, what what makes? Um, I think just uh, positivity mm-hmm. in a sense. Um, no matter how hard the day is, and no matter what challenges I have for the day, mm-hmm. I've always ended the day with a positive statement. Okay. Tomorrow I'm going to get this and I'm going to get that and this will happen. And it always does. Mm. Yeah. So it, I have, ne- yeah, I have learned to take away negative connotations. I think from my, from my day to day affirmations that I have in my head, instead mm-hmm. of, Oh, tomorrow is going to be a very heavy day. I have, mm-hmm. you know, this many patients and, and tomorrow I have all of this with at home needs to do. So it was never, it's always a positive. Okay. Tomorrow, this is what's going to happen. What's going to, you know, never mm-hmm. a negative. So I think it's just the positivity. I think it's um, always what I carry. All right. And that's it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Again, thank you for sharing your time with us after work. Uh, um, you know, uh, sharing us with your your insights and what we you know can learn from it. Mm-hmm. I, I love that we you know talk about in in those last bites. It's very relatable and for you know colleagues that are experiencing that. That is something that they can you know think about. We've uh, been there. Yeah, we've been there. You We've know, been there. It's not a matter of like how how many years you've been working. You would feel that at some point. Yeah, I've mm-hmm. been there. So yeah. I totally, you know, I really feel for younger colleagues that, you know, there's a lot of sometimes really when is this gonna end? Right. Mm-hmm. So sure. we've been there. But uh-huh. you know, if you you will get out of it and you will be in a better place as long as you keep on so one step forward. Right. So as to end, um, when we as Filipinos, we usually end our, you know, uh gathering with leaving our guests with their pabaon yung Tupperware to go. So what is our um, takeaway from our whole conversation today? What is that one thing that you want our audience to remember? For uh, Especially for our physical therapy audience. Okay. I've, I think that, you know, especially for our Filipino colleagues, I really feel the challenges um, of how to earn it, make the financial challenge of trying to make a living, right? Right. So um, then there's always the dilemma, should I apply AIM to be out of the country or should should I stay back home? Mm-hmm. Um, for our Filipino colleagues, especially, I think um, if you really look at where we are now in the country, like with all this, now that we have the social media with everything that is much more accessible, if you push at it, I think they have better opportunities of making it back home now than what we had back then. That's true. I yeah. believe that too. Right. You will, I think you can make just as much of a decent living back home in the Philippines if you push at it, if you persevere enough and you have more opportunities now than what I had back then as a younger for new grad physical therapist in the nine, late 90s, you know. Mm-hmm. So do not despair. I think if you push at it, if you really want to have your own clinic back home in the Philippines, go for it, mm-hmm. right? The, I think that opportunity is there. Grab at it, open that, get that fear out. I mean, you will never get that fear out, but no matter what, go for it. Mm-hmm. And push on, you know. Yeah. That's true. Like, um, it's 
talking about business, it's easier. I think it's easier to make a business to open up a business in the Philippines than here because there's a lot of requirements here, insurances, liabilities. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Like, but you know, back home there's no insurance. Mm-hmm. People pay cash. Yeah, that's true. So learn how to learn how to sell. Start mm-hmm. start small. Like everybody does the home care, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Then sharpen your clinical skills to the home care until you get your brick and mortar clinic. Now there's so many opportunities. Whether and so many small towns, they don't even have physical therapy clinics, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, there's a lot of opportunities if you really, and I think, you know, you will meet some of the clinicians um, through the physical therapy advancement seminars. They have Mm -hmm. clinics Mm -hmm. and they're actually doing well. So it is possible, Mm -hmm. right? So yeah, yeah, you don't have to leave the country. Mm -hmm. I hope not. (laughs) I I really hope like soon, you know, Mm -hmm. if, given the opportunity to really assist our physical therapists back home where they have to leave their, their own country. I, you know, who wants to leave, right? We would rather be back home. Ask any of all of us, right? <laughs> we all want to go home. <laughs> yeah. If I could do that, you know, I'll be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I could do what I do here and do that back home, I would too. But fortunately, We're I've here. already made my bed. <laughs> all right. Thank you again, Janice, for being here sharing your, your your skills, your knowledge, your wisdom with us. Uh, I hope to have you back uh, <laughs> for another Please, episode. We, like, we, we'll talk more. <laughs> so if our, our colleagues want to reach out to you and interested in you know the program, where can mm-hmm. they reach you at? I am on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I have my, um, I think my clinic website has mm-hmm. an email on it. Um, okay. Info at Movement Medicine PT. Mm-hmm. And at net. So all of that, you can reach me. It's easier. So, yeah. All right. We'll put that in uh, the show notes. Again, thank you very much, Janice. Thank you, everyone, for watching or listening to the podcast. Catch us next week for another interesting. Thank you for listening to PT Meal Podcast. If you like the show and want to support it, please follow the podcast's social media accounts in Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Share the episodes you're listening to or episodes you love to listen to so that the message can reach more people. Also, if you have anything to share with everyone about the profession or your practice, do contact me and we can work something out. If you have any suggestions, feedbacks, questions about the show or the guests uh, of the show, you can reach me through all the podcast's social media accounts or through the website www.ptmealpodcast.com or through email at ptmealpodcast at gmail.com Alright, looking forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Just a reminder folks, the podcast is intended for educational and informational purposes only. The show strives to keep all information true and correct, but humans sometimes make mistakes factual errors may be present, so we encourage the listeners to do their own research on the featured topics as well. Now, let's go back to the show.